This is The Crucible, the JRTC experience. This is Sappers Up Into the Breach. In this series, we discuss engineer warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large scale combat operations at JRTC. Yeah, from the Crucible today, my name is Major Chris Gensler. I'm here from uh, Task Force 5 uh, as the BEB XO OCT. Uh, today, I have with me Major John Tucker. Um, so, John, tell me about. Uh, your time in yeah. the Army. Uh, so Major Jonathan Tucker from Petersburg, Virginia. Uh, went to college at Radford University. Uh, year Group 11 guy. I went to uh, 82nd immediately upon commissioning, 3rd Brigade. Uh, we were the 3 BSTB and then reflagged to the 307th. Went to career course. After career course, went to Korea for a year. Uh, engineer, facilities manager, Area 4, Camp Henry, Camp Walker area. Uh, and then Company Command, 3rd ID, 1st Brigade, 10 BEB. Uh, from there, came to Task Force 5. Uh, one of the, the best broadening opportunities I could possibly have as a company grade officer. Learned a lot uh, and kind of like propelled me into that like field grade, major level, lessons learned, uh, starting from the platoon OC level, company OC level, and then going into the, the three K team, the, the battalion staff team, uh, just an amazing opportunity. Uh, and then once I completed that, I wound up here, Fort Johnson, again, uh, under third brigade, 10th Mountain, 317 BB. Uh, second year here, completed S3 time last year, and now just starting uh, executive officer for the battalion time. Um, so it's been a, a great ride so far. Uh, and ready to, to continue forward. Yeah, your experience, I mean, it's gone from light airborne mech to back into the yeah, light world. Yeah, back to the light mech, world. Which is yeah. great. And you've, you've seen it from how many rotations at being an OC at Task Force 5? I think I ended up with 13 or 14 rotations. It's quite a bit. You've seen yeah. it for a while. So what better person to talk to? Oh yeah, 100%. You know, especially from the fact that today we're talking about like the smorgasbord of capabilities in LISCO. You know, the challenges it, that come with in, integrating enablers. Um, so, you know, you just finished your rotation, 23-10. Uh, um, oh, that's my bad, 2309. We're about to go into 2310. Yeah. Um, we just finished your ro rotation. And uh, talk about the, in integration of enablers from the get-go. So before we got to rotation, the things that you did or how many enablers you had coming uh, into the planning cycle prior to your rotation? Yeah, so the, the first kind of hands-on opportunity we had with enablers was the initial planning conference here. Um, and I think we had, like the majority of the enablers we had on the task org from the mission letter showed up. And it was like an extremely beneficial opportunity to like put names to faces. And then that's the opportunity for them to kind of give their, their elevator pitch, their capabilities brief. So that company commander, first sergeant, executive officer, 
whoever it is is bringing like, hey, this is this is what my team is. This is what my team brings to the fight. And then they can kind of give like start the running estimates, time now of like personnel expected to be at the rotation, equipment expected to be up and operational. They're going to bring the rotation and then like where they are on kind of their like company metal tasks. That's going to enable the brigade to 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 win in this Lisco fight. Yeah. For sure. So you got a plethora of capabilities that came into the rotation, um, close to 12 different guidons mm -hmm. uh, from EOD, chemical companies, um, to CA PSYOPs, teams you've never worked for, before, um, right. worked with, uh, worked for um, in, the, in the past. And being in a field grade position now as an XO, there's probably a, a slew of you know, lessons that you've learned uh, from integrating those individuals. Um, talking about those elevator pitches specifically, let's, di let's just dive a little deeper into that. Yeah. Did, did you get the information that you were expecting by phase, specific to like the offense, the defense, or was it generally just an overview of what they brought to the fight? Just, so the initial at the IPC was just a general like, kind of block line chart, like this is our breakdown of platoons, this is our manning right now, this is the equipment we have, and then like these are the capabilities that we bring to the fight. So like we hadn't, at the IPC, we didn't like do the the digging into the, like by phase what you can offer uh, the brigade to enable. Gotcha. In terms of capacity, was there any discussion there um, on what type of capability and to what capacity they were they were aiming towards? Yeah, and I, of course things are gonna change, but like I think they had like, they had a, a general concept of what they would bring to the fight. And granted, like the, the IPC is what, like eight months out, nine months out, so a lot changes between like then and there, uh, where they are on their training glide path, and then of course like Murphy thrown in, like loss of personnel, great plate, mismatches, stuff like that, like things happen. Uh, but it's that, that's the importance of the, like the, the continued conversation, the continued communication between the BEB and these enablers we're going to receive. Um, and another opportunity was the, uh, the LTP. So the, the, the LTP program, I think that only we had CA show up, PSYOP show up, they integrated under Brigade, and then we had the MP platoon show up. So like as the staff is kind of like doing their MDMP, you know, rolling with running estimates by phase, we're able to talk to those kind of subject matter experts, the, the leadership of those companies and platoons, and be like, hey, here's a problem set we have for this phase. What do you offer? Like what, how do we best utilize your team, your resources for this phase? to enable the brigade to meet like this mission by this phase. Yeah, that, you, you bring up a, a slew of topics that we could talk about. Yeah. Um, from, you know, <laughs> I think the integration of those assets at the right time, at the right place, um, was there anything that you took away from that rotation that really allowed you to leverage, you know, making sure they were there to provide the combat effects to the brigade? Yeah, so it's like the, in, within the, the BEB, we were constantly sending somebody up to the brigade, like plan cell to integrate as much as we can. We initially wanted like an actual person to be there at all times, like RLNO, our plans captain, 
unfortunately, he wasn't able to go to the rotation, so that fell on Major Singh, Simmer, and Colonel Van Dyke. Like they they played that part to kind of enable the plan cell to understand like got it like the brigade's gonna be looking at like the big rocks for the offense and defense but then we still have to manage resource and think about the rear area mission as well as like how do we uh, enable the brigade through use of the enabler so like mps traffic control points detainee collection points like where where do they go in the grand scheme of uh, terrain management land management with the brigade similarly with seaburn like the decon site, like where does that go? How do we plan those those dirty routes, the clean routes to get to and from? Um, PSYOP civil affairs, like attack phase, we're, we're clearing eastward, clearing Sagacite, Moraz, Bouchon, like we need a presence there and that's gonna help, only help build like our SIGINT picture when we have those elements kind of supporting, talking to the lo local population. So it's like multiple aspects, multiple like plates the BEB has to offer. And like they did a phenomenal job of going to brigade, being like, I, I understand you're thinking about the big picture of the attack, the big picture defense, but there's like this slew of other stuff that kind of needs to, we have to do this stuff too. Uh, and like we're gonna offer you kind of like a, a, the capabilities, like what we have, and then like kind of offer you the solutions because some COAs to build into the overall brigade plan. For sure. Uh, and then like the brigade commander along with battalion commanders would war game, uh, big war game over the map board. And that's where Colonel Van Dyke had an opportunity to kind of talk to like, you know, we're moving these, these pieces here based off uh, information collection from either way, kind of what we think Geronimo is gonna do, yeah. uh, kind of how we're gonna array our forces back here. Uh, so it's like ongoing conversation, ongoing integration with brigade plans uh, to make sure that stuff is like thought about, planned out, forecasted, uh, and then we have the appropriate resources where we need them to execute. Yeah. In terms of the task organization going into the box and then changing throughout the phases, mm -hmm. what was like the most complicated piece uh, of managing that? So it was the, the our organic and enabler engineer assets so moving forward splitting between northern corridor uh youngstown artillery and then like the dreaded southern corridor low water crossing five like it's the like leveraging kind of those engineer assets uh on completion for defense specifically completion of engagement area development completion of like obstacle integration and then being able to like, yeah, they're, they're 90% up here, so let's flex some assets down here. Um, and then sometimes I got, that got a little muddied uh, when kind of ownership for specific engagement areas shifted based off of the brigade plan. Yeah. Um, but it's like fully leveraging those company commanders, be like, hey, company commander, like task org change, top now, this is your mission, commander's intent, execute. Uh, and they're able to go link up and kind of get on ground with that task force commander, understand big picture what's going on, uh, and then, then, then them acting as kind of like the task force engineers, they're able to feed that information to whether it's the engineer support platoon or the sapper platoons like, hey, here are the priorities for the brigade, here are the priorities for the, the task force commander, this is what I need you to do like any questions, execute, get to it. After they've executed, was there something that allowed you to keep um, 
you know, visibility on them moving forward to um, those other task forces when potentially the task purpose, that duration of how long they were going to be there and the output was complete to pull them back to realign potentially other capabilities elsewhere? Yeah, so we built a, uh, it took us a, like longer than what it should have, but just like building an engineer chat on JBCP. Because like the, the classic JBCP, send it and forget it, and like there's no automatic acknowledgement. Yeah. Like we're just struggling with dual communication, like enablers reporting to the BEB and enablers organic or other enablers like reporting to whoever they're supporting. Uh, just like build the common, common operating picture, like constantly update it, constantly provide that information so we can inform the commander of what's going on so he can make decisions and then provide that, that aspect and that, that information to brigade. So it's like we sat and like mid-row AAR, like you guys got on us and like opened our eyes, like how do we, we have this great system, FM doesn't always work all the time, like equipment constraints, terrain constraints, and then like the JBCP works, but how do we make it more efficient? And it was that like, Everybody's used to picking up their phone and texting. Right. It's essentially the same thing. 100%. So like engineer company commanders, engineer XOs, engineer first sergeants, like everybody's on the receive list. And it's just like easy dialing it in there. Hey, provide a sit rep every whatever interval we want it to be. Uh, and then we're like, we're putting out the two minute drill to them as well. Like, hey, here's a situation going on. Forward from your supported task forces. Here's the big brigade picture. And then, oh, by the way, like here's kind of what's going on in the rear area. Everybody kind of knows what's going on. And then they're able to provide like their equipment slants, their percentages complete engagement area development, class four, class five needed, like anything like that. It just streamlined the efficiency to like build on that communication, maintain that communication. Um, because like the, the send, the free text, like send and forget it, is just like not working. It doesn't allow you to receive confirmation of receipts. Yeah. You're 100% you're spot on. You know, there's a, there's a topic in there that we could just unwrap a little more. Like the fact that you have all these different units coming in. You got Compo 1, Compo 2, Compo 3, folks that are coming together to integrate together. Um, and the equipment sets probably didn't fully blend together. Um, talk to me about like how you got through that. Like what did you do or what did you find that was either A, cross-leveling equipment or you know, B, yeah, how, did, how, how did you tackle that problem? Yeah, so we, uh, the biggest thing off the get-go is communications. And like Colonel Van Dyke like called it like six months ago where he was like, he, if he was a betting man, he'd put money on like the comms infrastructure, which is not going to be where it needed to be. Yeah. And it's like 100% played out that way. Like I think our busiest staff during RSOI and during the rotation was S6. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like the planning and integration in the staff. It was like S6 like basically troubleshooting, fixing communications platforms across the, the enablers. Yeah. Uh, like all equipment isn't created equally and like not everybody is, not everybody has a JBCP, not everybody has like up-to-date systems. So in order for us to like build on the basic component of being able to communicate, because like if we can't communicate, 
we, we, there's not a whole lot we, we can do yeah. unless they're like sitting next to me the whole time That's right. and I'm like voco giving them what to do. It's like that was the number one thing. And immediately upon entering the ISB, RSOI, like we had them come in, they gave it another elevator pitch, like, hey, here's what we brought, here's what we have, here's any issues, friction points we have. And then constant dialogue between enabler and BB. It's like, here, let's, let's get you squared away on this. And we're just like prioritizing communication platforms. And then some of the other equipment stuff is that it's just like so hot. So like water cans across the board, like extra water cans, because a lot of the enablers like didn't either don't have water buffaloes or didn't bring them. Yeah. So like just from a like maintaining like combat power based off of basically a pacing item of having water on hand, uh, we had to do some adjustments there, cross-leveling fuel cans, cross-leveling water cans, just to make sure they had like the basic like entry load going into the box. Um, but I think like the biggest thing is like we have, you have to get ahead of with the enablers is communication. Um, and if I could do it again, I would somehow, in my recommendation to like any BB package, is like if, if you know you're getting enablers, like integrate them into your, your culminating like brigade exercise. So for us, Patriot Peak, we went out to the box, we did kind of like a mini JRTC, what we thought it was going to be. Uh, we're moving east to west, uh, but like get the enablers on ground, do the walkthrough with them, understand how they fight, understand like how we do business, and then like fix the things there. So then you have three months to play with, like fix anything else. And then when they arrive on station at the ISB, like you know that we troubleshot all the communications platforms. Like they understood what they needed to bring, they brought it, uh, and kind of just get ahead of uh, get ahead of any of the issues like that because there's just not time during RSOI to like dedicate all these resources um, because they're needed. They're, everybody's out doing RSOI tasks. Hundred percent. You you all did a great job in cross leveling that equipment. You know, spreading the peanut butter across uh, the the units that you you came across. Um, you know, at the at the end of the day, the the equipment slant that you received and what you were tracking coming in, how did that did that was there any differences in that? Yeah, there was so there was like some drastic differences. <laughs> uh, kind of what we thought coming in, we thought we'd have a, a few more D sixes, D sevens, um, but that turned into bucket loaders, and like no fault to anybody, it's kind of like the equipment slant at home station. If it if it's not FMC, if it's not capable of getting up. They just turned it off. But again, it's like the communication needs to be established from the initial planning conference and then maintained. Mm -hmm. So like nobody's surprised when we're, we're, we're thinking we have, we've done the planning, we've built our writing estimates based off of kind of this number of what we think is going to be on the UDL for every unit. Right. But then like make the changes on the fly when everybody arrives, kind of the dust settles, everything's loaded sure. off rail, loaded off line sure. hall and like here's what we actually have on hand. Yeah, no, you're 100%. I, we talked about it earlier uh, before we came in here, but just to like reemphasize that point, I think, which was spot on, you're, you said, hey, if I could do it all over again, you know, you would integrate them into the culminated training event. Just the human factor aspect of it, where, you know, the commander and the company credits in, being integrated, having that time to have the dialogue together, to understand how you think, to understand how, 
um, you know, the staff functions. Mm -hmm. um, you made a great point on, on that. And I just wanted to bring that forward. Is in terms of touch points you had with your uh, in integrated enablers, uh, how frequent was that and was it frequent enough? So I think we had, at the brigade level, we had kind of teams, digital conferences to address kind of like the, the build up, the prepo, like everything leading up to the rotation. Um, I don't think we did enough the BB kind of one-on-one -on -one and like a more like condensed scene, like just talking to those enablers. Because yeah. I mean, we had in the, the overall brigade, we had 210, we had the CSSB, so it kind of get like muddled in like the mix of everybody. Um, but I think like we needed to focus more on like, hey, where are you at in the process right now? What are your thoughts? What are your issues? What are your concerns? Uh, just more kind of one-on-one. -on -one. And it doesn't have to be in person, but going back, like I, I should have done more like teams one-on-one -on -one with those company commanders, first sergeants, or platoon leaders. Did you feel like there was hesitation with those company leaders uh, specifically in being able to address yourself, you know, other staff members, the commander? Uh, was there any delay, or were they pretty comfortable on, uh, you know, on arrival? The I think the person factor, like we had some kind of commanders that come in there, make a cup of coffee, like they're they're immediately like right at home, <laughs> and then you have some of the other company command, you know, enablers that are just a little bit more standoffish, and like I got it, yeah. and we're just like, we're we're just here to create shared understanding, build a team, and then like go forth and accomplish the mission. Yeah. So like us as three seventeen, we tried as as well as we could, bring them into the fold, understand they're part of Task Force Buffalo, like we accomplish everything together as a team, we fail as a team, and then just like, again, continued communication, like friction points, issues, constant dialogue, and just make ourselves better day to day. Yeah, 100%, we saw that throughout the entire rotation, it was great. Um, the, the question with the integration of those enablers in your scenario design uh, it's kind of interesting when it was like kind of the first rotation where yeah. we had the MEB scenario in the division support area we had enablers that were originally going to be with the BEB then kind of sliced out to the divisional area and had to be transferred over um, talk talk about that transfer how did that go um, I, th I think personally it went it went well so Division would publish the order received by 17th MEB, and then they did a really good job of communicating to us, like understand they're an AO cat, we're an AO bear. They did a good job of communicating like, hey, we got this order, we're sending this unit to you this time, and then the common link up point was always Alligator Lake Stationary. So like everybody knows yeah. kind of where that is sure. and like, so not a whole lot of people getting lost or anything like that. Um, and then our Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Davis would always be kind of like the, the reception team for that, would receive them. And then depending where we are on the battle space, either they're integrating into the overall kind of TA Buffalo or they're falling back to maybe our previous location. I know we did that some engineer assets uh, just as, a, as the ability to like maintain them. A lot of red air flying around, a lot of yeah. G-man running around. So yeah. we wanted to protect those assets that were gonna kinda support yeah. the defense. Um, the one thing I, I wish I would have done was get out ahead of that 48, 24 hours 
and receive, like go ahead and have them on kind of the, the battle rhythm of the BEB, reporting their log stat, reporting their per stat. Because we had strikers roll in from yeah. the chemical company and like just destroyed us on fuel, unforecasted fuel requirements. Yeah. Um, but like we made it work. We, we worked with, with 710 BSB uh, and we got it done. But it's, it's always like an uncomfortable moment when you're like seeing kind of the, the ticker from green, amber, and then red. And it's like, oh, I don't feel comfortable about this right now. Yeah. Like, what can we do? Uh, what could we have done to forecast it? Yeah. So I think like them immediately upon reception of that division order, we have visibility, the MEV has visibility, and they're kind of like getting with the B 317 BB whatever the BEB kind of battle rhythm is, go ahead and start that now. Uh -huh. And then that's just, again, like providing us the information we need to set conditions for their reception and then set conditions for them to go forth and do great things. Yeah, absolutely. You, you put a leader at a friction point. You knew it was gonna happen when you had the link up. Um, you know, use company command teams. You can use uh, Sergeant Major, which was a great way to kind of get the, yeah. the beans, bullets, you know, everything that's going on with that unit coming into the team. Uh, in terms of uh, fuel capacity, uh, is there anything you requested from the brigade to help supplement potentially what you didn't have before? No, I don't think we, I think we just had to like kind of realign assets within the, B, the BSA, the CTCP, and the FTCP. So I think we were able to like kind of give them a heads up when we like saw these strikers rolling in and like from Alligator Lake, like, hey, this is kind of what we got going on. Yeah. And then like kind of forecast that demand signal through our logstat reporting. Um, and then from there, like they were able to be like, yeah, we have this much fuel on hand. We'll slice out an additional like how many ever gallons. And that allowed us to kind of like stay where we needed to be. Not only like get them topped off, so they can move out, set up the uh, the decon point, yeah. but also like have the fuel necessary to maintain operations for the rear area, Fair. and then give some more to the blade assets, yeah. you know, cutting from the defense. Yeah, hundred percent. The uh, you know the the spatial considerations associated with bringing in that amount of equipment was that a challenge or was that something that was pretty maintainable? You know, in the rear area, how did you guys balance it? Yeah, it was pretty maintainable because. Like from the get-go, we talked about kind of like the base cluster concept. Yeah. So, like I, I think the way of the way of the massive TA is like done. It's not. It doesn't offer survivability from like aerial platforms. Like regardless if everybody has a camo camo net or not. Right. Like you got to break up break up your silhouette and like strategically place them places that like they have their survivability based off of terrain but they're also able to like easily get to the the CTCP, the FTCP, kind of depending where they are, where they're pulling the, the log packs from. Yeah. Um, but I think within Buffalo TAA, we always had our organic HHC, uh, and that, that's pretty much it. Like we were pretty slim in the TAA, understand that like a terrain feature away, maybe two, was the FTCP where we get our, our fuel, all of our log stat, all of our yeah. log pack stuff from. Uh, and then between that distance, kind of like array everybody kind of like where we thought they would need to be. Uh, CA, PSYOPs, kind of close to the, 
the, the local populous area, so Sagacite, the starting phase, and then pushing them up north uh, along Youngstown Artillery towards the end. Um, and then the Seaburn Company kind of have them push towards Engineer Lake, because it's like water available for decon. Um, so have them strategically placed close to key terrain feature for their assets. Um, I think we did a pretty good job um, yeah. with ter terrain management for the rear area as far as BEB assets. For sure, you definitely went to a nodal TA, right? Like you had pockets of companies in certain locations where you thought they were gonna be employed at. Mm -hmm. very, very helpful in balancing the spatial and the temporal response from those enablers, right, into a given threat area or whatever it needed to yep. be projected towards. Um, now that's the, you're you're absolutely right in that in that regard, and it was done well. And you prioritize survivability, you know, for those assets um, as you know the rotation went and as they moved. Um, with that, I'm curious on like, what was your feeling or what was the the thoughts that y'all saw? Um, with the integration of those assets, uh, specifically we'll talk with MPs uh, for detainees and how you received potentially a note from the maneuver task force on, hey, are you gonna come get these? Or hey, are you gonna, yeah. uh, what are you gonna do with them? How did that play out for you? Yeah, so it was like another kind of like muddied area was like, we set up the detainee collection point, like who's, who's pushing the these, the, who's pushing these these Geronimo packs from like point of where they're detained, where they're collected, and, like getting them to that det det detainee collection point. So it's like kind of muddied here and there, but it was like again, like the JBCP chat platforms, O&I chat, brigade chat, we didn't get the notice at battalion that like, hey, uh, these EPWs were collected at this point, and then like our battle captain would kind of like assess and do the analysis on like, yep, we have our MP platoon has this many people, this many squats tasked out. Either they're capable of going and getting that EPW or they're not based off of the current mission they're doing, the downtime associated with manning the, the Taney Collection Point 24 hours. So it's like we had that on hand in the MCP, and then once we get the demand signal, we're like, yep, yeah, like we can spin up in, or, or a MP squad, go support in their gun trucks, or like, hey, sorry, we don't have it. Can you provide pushback capacity to like get them to where they need to be? Um, and I think like it's just con constant balance of like communicating with those task forces. Like this is what we have on hand. We didn't have a whole lot of combat power in the rear area to be able to like shuffle movement back, collect these people. So it's like either the MPs were up, yeah. they're like capable of doing it, or they're down right now. Like we're not capable of doing it. And then the, the owning unit would kind of provide that pushback yeah. of any EBWs. Yeah, so definitely a lot to, to unpack on that one. The, the movement of detainees um, from from you all standpoint, you guys worked adjacent to those task forces, almost like in a Daryl Loth um, coordination. Mm -hmm. It wasn't routed through the brigade back down. It was typically between uh, one maneuver task force and yourself. Um, with that, was there any other in, like enablers that you had to integrate into that process to kind of complete the cycle of those detainees? 
I think we already, so in conjunction with the detainee collection point, we had our humanters close to that. So like the, the package is there to receive, to hold them, and to, then the humanters like pull whatever information they needed. Other than that, I think like CA, civil affairs, uh, like played some, some somewhat of a enabling aspect of that because mm -hmm. they were typically co-located around the same detainee collection point around the, the humaner so they were like kind of add their flavor to it yeah. pull information as necessary kind of decipher information as necessary um, but as far as that like there there wasn't any other enabler integration between yeah. the push from collection back to the detain, detainee collection That's point. A point got it now what about it you were talking about priorities inside with the MPs how about the capacity based on what you had. I know you had a uh, MP platoon mm -hmm. uh, versus a company I think you were originally expecting. How did you prioritize a task from like a DCP, route regulation, you know, those other efforts? How did you prioritize those? Was there any like products or anything that you used to help leverage that? But knowing that like the, the humaners collecting is predicated off of getting the EPWs to them. So yeah. like for them to do their job, like we have to, to somebody has to manage the the point of them being collected for infantry task forces, like getting them back to where they need to be so those humaners can do their job. Mm -hmm. So like we had to prioritize, like number one mission is like maintain that detainee collection point. Because not all, it, it offers the brigade and potentially division with information collection. Yeah. Like we're constantly wanting to like update what's going on, constantly, manning that information collection cycle mm -hmm. and that's like a key aspect we have to like constantly maintain constantly make sure it's up and running because like we don't get the like oh yeah at this point at this time we're going to have detainees like it just happens yeah. so we have to like make sure they're constantly able to collect or able to to house them for the humaners to do their thing and then based off of that uh, we had another squad or two to kind of play with depending on what was going on in the rear area. So like in conjunction with kind of the, the, the threat sit temp, we knew kind of the key times when red air was flying around, kind of the key times when SPF would attack the rear. So we could manage kind of the, the force flow or, or manning of those, the patrols uh, along the, the rights in the rear area, along with downtime um, I think we did a pretty good job. Like, I think we did a pretty good job of managing expectations, managing their timeline, and them understanding like when their their assets were required. Um, try to be as predictive as possible instead of reactive. In those um, transitions, when you were sending them to support a maneuver task force, um, did the command support relationship ever change with that? Um, and if so, how did that affect your sustainment aspects of ensuring that they had, you know, medical uh, support or uh, logistical support? Yeah, so it, it the, I'll go back to the engineers kind of like swapping off where they needed to be and just maintaining that whatever the command support relationship was with those task forces, like making sure Kind of, they knew what they were, what the complete package was. Not yeah. only like what the enablers were bringing, but also their responsibility of, of supporting them, uh, collecting their log stat, getting their report, 
Um, and then the, the enabler package also do reporting to us, so we had visibility of what's going on. Yeah. So like, we're, we're gonna protect our people, um, so if they're not getting what they need, we don't know that unless they're doing that, that dual reporting. So constantly dual reporting, making sure the engineers have class four, class five to accomplish engagement area development for the defense, making sure they have fuel. And then if they, they're not getting the fuel they need, being able to communicate, communicate that back up to us, I can communicate with the task force, XO, whoever I need to in there to be like, hey man, like, we need to accomplish this mission. We need to get stuff done. Yeah. We need, blades need to be operating all the time. Yeah. So we need to flex some fuel down here. How receptive were the company commanders in like doing that dual reporting, or was it more of a constraint on just equipment um, to be able to reach back? I think once we got that that chat set up, it was super easy. <laughs> like it's so it's so easy and simple. Yeah. It's like once we got it set up, they were like, we're just getting blasted with information all right. the time, and it's like. I'm never going to be like, hey, stop, like, don't ever communicate. But yeah. like, constantly updating, updating, updating. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's like our battle captain's able to know, like, yep, here, here, here. This is where our engineer assets are. Like, completion of engagement areas. Like, back brief all the things happening based off of, like, they they have to be reporting to us. We have to. There are eyes on the ground to understand, like, the engineer picture forward. Like they have to constantly communicate that information. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Once you had the chat going, it was like, you could see everything. It's like it's fire like, hose oh. of information. Yeah, <laughs> slow down, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, it's always a battle to get that cop accurate, right? Like, especially when you have 11 different guidons out doing different missions and each of them have some type of potential time sensitive nature to it. Um, and the, the cop isn't, and it's split two ways for the BEB too, because we're not, we're, we're, we're looking at and forecasting everything forward, like want to make sure everything's being done appropriately for the, the task forces, but also owning the slice of the pie in the rear, it's like the overall protection in the event, Geronimo air assaults into the rear, anything like that, like we're constantly forecasting, planning, most likely, most dangerous, and then setting assets against that. Yeah. So the key factor was Dronimo using chemical munitions, typically when they're retrograding uh, after the brigade's defense. Yeah. So knowing that, forecasting that, we're able to forecast, yep, like I wanna move, I have to move my decon somewhere where there's capacity for water. Engineer Lake right here, full of water right now, despite the dry, <laughs> despite yeah. the dry yeah. and the hot weather. Like this is a key place for it. Um, and then building, helping brigade with, this is where I see the munition coming from, so we need to plan dirty rides, clean rides, yeah. and like being able to get whatever company, whatever echelon gets slimed, we're able to uh, like accommodate them, throw a decon, get them back in the fight. After, like after the defense, we want to attack back, strike yeah. where we can, it's like getting them back in the fight. Yeah. So it's a constant, management of running estimates, constant management of like maintaining a cop. And again, it all boils down to like providing that information and analysis to the boss to be able to, when the, the battalion commander's brigade commander does their war game or, or mm -hmm. whatever step of MDMP, mm -hmm. like Colonel Van Dyke or Major Singh, they have the picture of what's going on, what we think is gonna happen in the next 24, 48, 72. 
and they're able to like brief that to a captive audience at Brigade and then get that information put in the order, yeah. put in whatever else. For the commander's visualization piece and specific to the MDMP, is there anybody specific to the enablers that you recall that was like very helpful to you know, a specific MDMP step or um, to the planning process? Like who is the best person you leveraged or was there a combination of folks from across, depending on the, the type of unit? I think it was a, a combination, um, but it was like having them there while we're doing the steps for stuff like we wouldn't have thought about it. So PSYOPs, what we're, we're discussing uh, HLZ denial in the rear area, like most, most dangerous course of action, Geronimo, the Tarikans, air assault into the rear, mass chaos, yeah. like wreak havoc, and then kind of going through what us as a BB has on hand, like how do we, it's like 15 some odd HLZs in the yeah. NPRC lanes, like it's right. a lot. It's a ton. Yeah, so like how do we, how do we mitigate, how do we cut off some of the key uh, HLZs for them, and the the psyops guy was like, "Oh, we have we have fake mines," and we're like, "Dude, where'd you come from? Like, we, yeah. like that would have been nice to know." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, it's like a 24-hour division commander approval for us yeah. to use these like fake mines." Yeah. We're like, "Okay, like there you go. Like, yeah. who else has anything else that'll like you haven't necessarily told us, and is like not necessarily in the." the structure of like the elevator pitch, capabilities uh -huh. pitch, but like what are some of the other like tricks you have in your bag right That's now? Right. And it's like utilizing like, again, like building the trust, building the communication, like uh -huh. us, them feeling accepted, part of the team, and then like open communication to help us solve our problems. Yeah, that, that's the best way to say it. Like you gotta make them feel part of the team, right? And you have to bring them in to kind of say, hey, during this phase, we're doing these these activities as a BEB, what else can you potentially do to right. reinforce that? And you found like in the CA PSYOP situation, like we oh, we have fake mind, we can do deception, yeah. we can utilize this we on HLZ. We have loudspeakers, we can do yeah. like blades or play Metallica music, like, yeah. like this whole like menu of <laughs> options that like we didn't know where it was there and like sure enough, they're like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. They like, can do basically any of that stuff. It's like, <sighs> When we had that in the elevator pitch. <laughs> let's do it again. Twenty-four let's, hours let's do it ago. Again. Let's extend this box rotation. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I don't know if we want to do that. Fourteen days. It was nah, four, right. Nah, yeah, that's nah. good though. No, like hey, it's it, it's clear that you all have done prep work prior to. You did prep, you know, work prior to every phase in the planning. You pulled folks in to help kind of commu communicate the the requirements of the brigade. Um, the one thing I was curious about in terms of rehearsals what did you all find effective for yourself knowing that it was more like an on-call on-order type uh, response like how did you guys tackle that so all of our rehearsals were pretty much tabletop rehearsals so yeah. over our big kind of cop map board with like all the different information on the side operational graphics in the middle map in the middle um, we kind of we do that, and then a lot of times we would have kind of forecasted like area of interest, big blow up printouts too we could use, um, and then we would we would do our op order brief, we do kind of the commander's back brief, and then 
within, I don't think we ever went over 24 hours. It was like, kind of like a four to six hour window. We would do that tabletop rehearsal. Yeah. And it's like the commander's coming. Like, I understand this is my mission. This is commander's intent. Walking through and the commanders are identifying the friction points they, they identified based off of reading the order, receiving the order. Yeah. And then with a captive audience between the staff and all the, the companies, everybody, part of the team, uh, just an outside audience to be like, hey, I, I think there might be a friction point here too. Maybe something like us as a battalion staff hasn't thought about or like that specific company. Um, but uh, like they worked out great. Like we yeah. were able to kind of identify those friction points identify and then like adjust assets, adjust things that's necessary um, to just streamline my operations, like cut out those friction points and then like move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Now you hit a, a, a plethora of, you know, challenges that it takes to integrate enablers. Like if you were giving, you know, field grade officers, company commanders, first sergeants, platoon sergeants, uh, knowing that they come at different echelons to integrate into the BEB, like what are like the like the selling home takeaway? Like, this is what you need to do when you when you get assigned to go to a JRTC rotation. Yeah. So when you get assigned from from an enabler perspective, like just reach out, like just communicate. Like they're you're part of their team. Once you get that mission letter, once you know you're going to JRTC, like commit yourself to that team because more than likely, like they're going to welcome you with open arms. Yeah. And like you're gonna give high fives at the beginning, you're gonna give high fives at the end, uh, but like start the start the relationship early, start the open communication early. Um, Be transparent with that equipment yeah, slide. Like, like hey, if we don't have change, this. When things change, like That's let right. let the higher headquarters know. To your point. Because like they may have set forth planning based off of something. And then like once we start the box, it's something completely different. Yeah. So like open lines communication, like understand you're part of the team, communicate early, communicate often, like constantly update your equipment slants, personnel slants, anything like that. Uh, and I recommend that like if if enablers in any way can, part of their like annual training, like try to get in on that, either that battalion BEB collective training or the brigades collective training event and just like because you're you at some point it needs to be more than conceptual it needs to be on ground face-to-face -face communication like actually moving equipment operating equipment like operating any special equipment and like getting on pace with for us like the patriot standard so two water cans two fuel cans <clears throat> per vehicle to like start the face-to-face -face integration, getting everything kind of like where it needs to be. As far as the BEB, um, I think I think that kind of played out for us was a checklist, like an enabler checklist. So when Sergeant Major would like bring those elements in, okay, like hey, they're set in their TAA. In two hours, I want to see company commander, first sergeant. And I want them to provide this. So like the updated elevator pitch, the updated slant of equipment they have, and then friction points. Um, <clears throat> bring your map, bring your acetate, and like go ahead and copy the operational uh, graphics we have now. So that commander's coming in, 
they're either briefing Colonel Van Dyke or me if he's not there. They're briefing the staff, like everybody's paying attention. And it's like, yep, I'm here, I'm part of the team, I'm here to do this, this is what I'm bringing, these are my shortfalls right now. And then we're able to kind of like crossload either people to help them get work on FM comms or anything like that, or we're able to flex equipment or logistics to them. So having just an easy like checklist, I'm face to face with this enabler company commander. Do you have a map? Do you ha did you copy the overlay? Or do you know our frequency call sign? Do you know our JBCP role name? Like here's the chats you need to get on if you have a JBCP. And then like here's the battle rhythm. So they're like that one face face to face link up, they understand how we operate or how we are operating if anything changes. Mm -hmm. And they understand like what information they owe to us and at what frequency. Mm -hmm. So enablers early often communicate open communication what they bring to the fight friction shortfalls and then at the bb level have that integration checklist to make sure like everybody's maintaining the same cop everybody understands the same battle rhythm everybody understands kind of the do outs uh commanders critical information reporting requirements anything like that for like a blade goes down or anything like that mm -hmm. just like get everybody on the same page yeah no great points all around joe i really appreciate you taking the time today to talk with us about the smorgasbord of lisco yeah. uh, enabler capabilities and challenges that come with it um appreciate it Thanks yeah again. well the good thing is i'm right down the street so yeah. if you need to <laughs> do it again yeah, like, Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts. And be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.